Hi, I'm Will Evans. Welcome to Ahead of the Field from NFU Mutual, where we aim to bring you farming stories from around the country, updates on what's happening in the industry, and relevant help and advice. Today, we're going to be talking to Harry Metcalf, a farmer in West Oxfordshire who's also a highly successful motoring journalist, founding the Evo Car Magazine. Harry, how are you? Very good, thank you. And yeah, great to join you. Uh, perhaps you could start with um, just telling us a bit about yourself, but also a bit about the farm as well. Uh, yes, well, a slightly odd route into farming uh, at the beginning. But um, yeah, I went to agricultural college at Sutterworth at late 70s, came out as a, uh, got a job as a grain buyer and toured around the farms sort of in Hertfordshire, Buckinghamshire, absolute wonderful uh, area, and then started doing line trading as well, and just wanted to get the other side of the fence, and um, started taking little bits of land on as you do, and then fell into a tenancy um, with the Hambros near Harbin and 600 acres, and expanded up to 2,000 acres, um, and that was sort of how I got into farming. And then a magazine happened, and I will cover that later. But now I always wanted to own our own farm, and we bought a, this wonderful, it's 280 acres in the Cotswold, and it's mixed farm, and it has everything. Oh, we have a wonderful valley down to a little brook, steep land with grass, permanent pasture, a little bit of arable that doesn't grow the yields I grew over in Hertfordshire, no matter how hard I try. <laughs> And so I still yeah. have to do other things to keep everything going. Yeah, fantastic. So where did that um, initial interest in farming come from? Are you, are you from a farming family? or Slightly once removed. Um, like my grandfather, he, he was trading horses up in Yorkshire, High Bentham. Metcalf is quite a Yorkshire name. Yeah. So there was my cousins are up there, and I used to go to them during school holidays, so 13, 14, 15 and then other things sort of took over holidays and you discover girls and things and suddenly <laughs> cousin's farm in Yorkshire isn't quite as appealing yeah and uh, yeah but my dad was his youngest son on the farm and he was actually into fashion fashion design and I just always think how did my dad escape from Yorkshire Dales and become <laughs> fashion designer That's in amazing. Liverpool so yeah. yeah complete so my back right yeah my parents were all into fashion and drawing and so you're as far removed from farming as you could possibly get but yeah. as I said earlier we did have this cottage in Wales that sort of kept the connection with the country I suppose and we yeah we were always there all holidays were spent out there and my dad being a teacher as well meant you had long holidays so yeah that was the that was the sort of connection to farming I just loved the way of life and see watching the seasons go by I don't think mm. it's a better way to earn a living and you get anybody and no one can understand why people milk cows and then you go on a cow you know milk cows on a dairy yeah. you just get into the animal the breeding and the individuals and you yeah it's really very enjoyable mm. so yeah Okay, so how did you uh, come to be a motoring journalist? And, and, and tell us a bit about that side of your career. That's, that was nuts, really. Um, that was just a farm diversification that went the crazy. <laughs> I've always been a car person for whatever reason. And uh, yeah, I, was, I, I just started buying odd stuff. I had a, something called a Maserati Ghibli Cup was actually the, the spark that got me into journalism. Because basically I... I knew this thing was coming out in Italy and it wasn't coming to the UK. I ordered one up. I got them to make a right-hand drive one. And then I rang a few journalists and said, oh, if you want to try one of these, these are really good. So then I sort of got to know quite a few of the, the journalists. 
I've got letters from sort of Steve Cropley and Jeremy Clarkson and stuff in the file. And then particularly with Performance Car Magazine, I started helping them out on road tests. And um, then one we were doing a group test around the BMW Z3 and John Barker, one of the guys there, said, you're not going to believe this, but EMAP are um, folding performance car into car magazine. And I just said, well, there's never been a better time to launch a car magazine. So, um, yeah, suddenly I ended up working out how to launch a car magazine. I knew that we all knew the product. I mean, it, you, you say I'm founded. It was a gang of us. There was four, there was five of us in the gang and we knew the magazine we wanted to produce. And uh, we went and did it. But it was a very steep learning curve. And I can remember spraying a field. Oh, sitting on this JCB fast track spraying a field and I bought as I was doing it 45,000 pounds worth of computer equipment in 1998 and I thought what have you done there? what are you doing you're just going in so deep and that's yeah and then we launched a car back it, I didn't realize quite how much it was going to eat money because you have to pay for everything up front magazine is the yeah. successful business bank managers run you think they just hate it because there's nothing physical there. there's no product really but if you don't publish the next month there's nothing there so how's um that industry changed i mean we've also been doing it for a while how's the rise of uh, video content and social media i mean it must have just changed it beyond Honestly, all recognition really it was wonderful in those early late 90s early noughties there was great product around at the time and a magazine it's just the best thing because you, you have a month to recreate whatever yeah. you're going to do. I always explain to other farmers, you have to wait a year for the next harvest and, you know, what you're going to plant, what you do. Magazine, you do you have a harvest every month. <laughs> you're just trying to invent what you're going to get to get the product. And you could think more deeply and you had proper written stories because you, you go out and test a car, then you have an evening with the engineers and you discuss some of the things you found that day. And then you'd re-practice those other things you learned on the second day and then you come home and write a story for you know deadline in a week mm. or so now well it about 2010 it really started changing websites came along and uh, you then had to do a web story and then you had to do video suddenly came as well mm. and that meant another suddenly everything became very rushed and you had to do it spur of the moment you couldn't mm. give it a thought and it was just this churn and it became less enjoyable. So I knew I sort of wanted to get out uh, about 2011-12. We'd had a wonderful time. Um, but yeah, it has, media has changed out of all recognition. And it's just the number of places you have to place a story rather mm. than just one magazine. It's very mm. hard now. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So how have you been able um, to combine the journalism with with the farming? And, and, and maybe tell us about some of the farming videos that you do uh, as well. The, just the farming videos. They, they're a, a recent thing by accident. We're, we're on the farm. I did a combine video, how a combine works on my, um, on my uh, car channel and got a lot of comments. Um, and that, sort of trigger well maybe i ought to do a few more farm videos and i did one of the tractor and stuff like that um and they're, they're very popular and i thought well i'll just do harry's farm now i can do proper ones if anybody ha wants to follow it but the the videos just came about really from the magazine I, I was getting invited to drive fantastic cars and i just as owner of the magazine i just couldn't make it pay um because it was a separate the times a separate film gang had to come out and I remember doing the Inventador in Rome and it really wound me up that I went out there to write the story, stood by this 
Lamborghini Aventador, and he said, oh, do a piece to camera, please. I said, well, I haven't even got any. I don't know anything about the car. And it was this instantaneous bit. So I said, no, I'm not doing it like this. We can't make any money of it. But if I sucker a camera in the car and yabber on, then there is no cost because there's no film crew, there's no editing. Yeah. You edit it down. And therefore, if, if it's cost nothing to create the video, then if we do get any revenue from it, it's it's profit. So it was just, that was the idea. So I've kept with the wobbly cam sort of idea because I I, I was I remember watching a documentary of this guy who's going to feed grizzly bears out in the bush and he was just going to take the berries and he said, they eat out of our hands. And he said, no, it's not going to happen. And you were, had a GoPro on his shoulder and you went with him and then a grizzly came out of a bush and you wanted to run, but you because you were utterly gripped, yeah. it didn't actually matter that the camera was a bit wobbly. You were there in that moment, and that's what seemed to be that people enjoyed. If I did a video on a Zonda or the Aventador, you saw it as I saw it, and suddenly the wonderful production you get from you know Top Gear and um, you know um, Grand Tour, but it doesn't actually deliver more views it's actually the content that's critical you mm. work for magazines covers stories get the content right and the audience come with you mm. yeah so yeah. what are, what are you um hoping to achieve with the farming videos what, what what's the audience and, and... Uh, it just unfortunately social the downside of video content and social media is access to an audience is never been easier you know mm. i had to get to produce a magazine, you had to get the gang together, you had to get experienced writers, they wouldn't give you access to the car unless you had that experience, you then had to print it, and there was 40 odd tons of magazines, you then had to distribute around the globe, and you do it repeat every month. Now I can just press a button, and it's globally instantly. And, and what really winds me up is those barriers to broadcast mean that the standards of media has dropped. I, if I did a story at Evo, it had to go through the sub-editor. He had to fact-check it. There was an editor wondering if it was right. There was a publisher thinking, well, is that going to cause any issues? And so you had all these barriers. So you had better quality at the end of it. It was all fact-checked. You know, your editorial integrity is absolutely critical yeah. in this game. So I suppose the video, the farm video is getting back to that. I just wanted to use that journalism sort of background of getting the facts right and just presenting the facts. And then the audience can make up their minds from the factual, you know, whether they believe in it or not. But if you get the facts right, it's hard to argue with. Mm. You agree or you don't. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, there there has been that um, perception gap between the reality of farming in in this country and and, and what can be portrayed in the media, as you've just touched upon. Do, Do you find that frustrating? I think we all do as farmers, don't yeah. we? You know, trying, you know, the last one I tried to describe like a, being a farmer is a bit like saying I own a boat and it's, you know, it's either a rowboat or it's a giant 100 metre boat off Monaco. It's still a boat. Mm. And, you know, as soon as you say you're a farmer, there's something that you get pigeonholed mm. and we know just the variation your experience of farming you know in the valley is very different to the yorkshire mall guys or the Mm. up in lake district tending sheep in blizzards etc to the bloke on Salisbury plain with this giant fields and huge you know 30 foot combines Mm -hmm. it's utterly different way of life Mm. Uh, and you can't just calling them a farmer is just nonsensical but so i i just think we've got a lot of explaining to do we haven't had to explain 
but I think with the the number of story, you know, climate change isn't going to go away. Um, veganism, etc. It's just needs lots of us actually talking. It's not going to be just one person who solves this. Um, you you just got to educate and get people to realise that this is a way bigger subject than it can be covered up in one article in the Sunday Times. Mm. So one of the things I like about your videos is that they are very, very accessible to non-farmers, which is something that um, a lot of us who do try and uh, open the farm gates, as it were, and communicate what we're doing on farms, we can struggle with because in farming we tend to use a lot of jargon and we perhaps take it for granted that people understand what we mean and it is quite hard to find that balance isn't it but you you seem to um, have really bridged that gap and be doing it really really well is that something that you actively have tried to do i desperately try not to do it for a farming audience dance mm. and and my the the great test is patricia who's doing the filming for me my wife she says, I don't understand that, so I have to redo it. And then she says, oh, I see what you're on about now. So I have a, uh, that's my sub-editor in the background, if you like, who's mm-hmm. saying, present this in a way that is understandable. Don't use too big a words um, and don't go too technical. So I'm, I'm coming back to that level. I don't, uh, farmers will pretend, you know, they probably will watch it because we all love seeing what's going over the other side of the hedge, don't we? So it's addictive from that point of view. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping the audience, I can keep it growing in, from the automotive way and just help get the message across of what we're up to. Because uh, mm. we are going to have to justify our, our existence increasingly. Um, and uh, there's the misunderstanding that we're not all farming like they are the cattle lots in, in America. Yeah. Et cetera. So, so how much um, responsibility is there on us as farmers in this country to communicate the reality and promote the good stuff because because i think um we've got a lot better at it over the last few years yeah. perhaps we've got a way to go but we have improved i think and there's some really good communicators you know such as yourself in farming yeah no i, I completely agree um because uh, some people find it easier than others and yeah. some of the ways you communicate i feel really sorry for like prince charles because he passionately cares and he's doing he's done extraordinary things but again he gets pigeonholed and mm-hmm. you know he talks like that that's why you need the multitude of voices um and i think some really good um trying to think is the shepherdess what's the, the um she, Hannah, uh, Hannah, yeah, that yeah. sort of thing mm. That that gives suddenly a you know an experience to people who follow her and had no idea. So I'm yeah. sure she's got a great following beyond farming. You know this this spotlight on how it is to farm up there and it's tough. And, it, mm. and the great thing with the Instagram and Twitter is you can do little tiny bite size and you you see it cycle and you're we're lucky because we have the seasons we don't know what's going to throw at us we didn't know those floods were coming in the last couple of weeks so you can expose the good and the bad and how you battle on through it um so i think that's that's really going to help our cause mm. okay so how have things uh, changed on your farm uh, in the last few years and what and what's 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 the last 12 months uh, been like with with covid there well you know it's funny this covid we're, we're least affected aren't we mm. most industries it's um very lucky but 
I mean, I've only really taken it back in hand. Oh, 2017 was a trigger. I had a, um, because I was sort of busy out away from the farm, um, I, I always sold the grain and did the grain trade and bought the seed because it's second nature, but I had someone doing all the work. Um, and then he came, he, we had a couple of bad years and he was coming up for retirement. He retired. And I had said to my son, I'd said, who driven the combine for um, the contractor. I said, why don't we get, it's just the kit. We'll just get a combine and we'll do the harvest, the fun bit. I will get someone else to do the drilling and stuff. I might do a little bit of scratch cultivation, rolling, cope with that. Uh, <laughs> and then someone else sprays it all and then we'll go and combine again. And I, I had, uh, said, yeah, we'll have a go at that. And I was offered one of those Lander um, Defenders out of Spectre, the Bond movie. Oh, okay. But all that would be good. We'll go rabbiting and muck about. We had this great big off-road tire, massive great lights on it. And maybe I'll like this Defender because it was a bit silly. And then one sold at RM Auction and it fetched £200,000, which was a lot more than I paid for it. And I said to Charlie, we're not going to use it for rabbiting anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and so I sold that and bought a combine and a tractor and a set of rolls. So we're a completely oversized combine. And I just thought, I can't, I've got a garage of classic cars, £100,000 classic car. Would I actually get more pleasure by having this combine? So we've got a big case, 7088. Well, it's not that big, but it's big. It only combines, it's like, um, it's just, it's 280 arable. That's all it's doing. It did it in 55 hours, I think it was this year. I mean, it's just madness. But it's, it actually makes it fun. So yeah. I am a different sort of farm from that point of view. I am very much playing at it. And I used I term this place the allotment. You know, when I was farming 2,000 acres, 2,000 just over, it was busy, proper, proper busy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we enjoy it, really. Yeah. So, well, well, fun, fun's important at the moment, isn't it? You've got to get your fun where you can get it. Um, the industry um, is obviously going through a lot of change at the moment, a lot more focus on the environment and producing food in a, a nature friendly way. What, yeah. what are your future farming plans and, and how are you going to be adjusting to that? Well, we're still going to, I think food isn't going to go out of fashion and there's more of us to eat it. Mm. Uh, I just think we're going to be clever how we produce it. Yeah um and yeah train i because this land isn't particularly good i did look at doing like solar panels because i thought well i'm actually going to provide what the community wants that's a job of a farm and it used to want food but i think it's going to want energy and i do wonder about macanthus grass whether i'm going to be growing different crops well beyond the normal rotations because we haven't got an, you know real um prop um good yielding land so i'm looking at alternative perhaps more specialist crops in my particular case that's not for everyone i think that you know a lot of farms will they have to produce the wheat the yeah. barley, or whatever uh, but i'm going to look more i might go more grass i'm I my neighbor is actually looking at going back into dairy see if we can bring grass into the rotation oh, and i'd be quite keen to look at that mm -hmm. as well yeah, yeah. Oh, that's exciting. And, and 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 then thinking about the 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 industry more widely, how do you see that changing and developing over the over the next sort of 10, 20 years? I think what we've got to do is make farming fashionable again and get the youngsters thinking this is a great way of life. And we don't all want to dive into the city. And COVID's actually done quite a good job there. Yeah. Um, I agree. Realising countryside isn't such a bad place. They can mm. still communicate via these ways. You know, it's it's very easy now. 
Um, so I think we've just got to make it sexy again. I try and make farming sexy. But everyone had a connection to farming. If you go back to 1900, mm. everyone was. And I can't, I was looking at the beef numbers. I didn't realise that we are now at the same number of cattle we had in, I think it's 1890, when the 96, when the first survey, you know, start of the century. It, it, yeah, I, and also I think with Brexit, good or bad, I think people might start eating more local uh, because that, because of the issues they've got of bringing, you know, things in from Europe, it's suddenly got a whole lot trickier. I think we're going to see real change in the next couple of years. Mm. Exciting time to be in the industry. Um, before we start to wrap this up, um, you do own quite a few cars, as, as we might expect. What, what's yeah. what's what's a your favourite, and b what's your everyday run around car that you use? <laughs> uh, I, I, it varies. My my favourite. I'm. I know Gordon Murray, so I'm a complete fan of his. You know, the McLaren F1 is just the most extraordinary. I would love to have one in the garage, um, but that is sadly gone. On the, you know, there were 25 million ish now. Okay, um, so we don't have that. Kuntash, I have a Kuntash because I just, I just love the madness of the Italians and this, you know, Ferruccio Lamborghini setting up Lamborghini to better Ferrari. And there's a, there's a, I very lucky to know the personalities behind the company and so I, I enjoy that for both reasons it's actually a bit of a rubbish car it's very heavy it's got no brakes goes like the wind looks crazy and so you have a i call it a tango moment so i go out in it in contest um so I, I enjoy that but then i like lotus as well i just love the you know the lightness the touch and how this little tiny 1600cc car can do crazy things mm. I used to race one back in the early 90s. So I'm a particular fan of Lotus. Um, so, but yeah, everyday car. I, I, I've been a serial Range Rover bar since 1990. I used to buy police, ex-police ones. So they're always white. Uh, they're plod one, plod two. Plod <laughs> um, and we used to have that giant roof. And the roof on a, that age of Range Rover was self-tappered. So you used to be able to take the roof off and put it on the next one and carry on rabbiting and have a nice shiny roof for the car you were just selling. Fantastic. Um, Fantastic. So yeah, that, that, uh, yeah, Range Rover and a Fiat Panda 4x4 because when okay. Range Rover started to get a bit too big, we had to have a little Panda as a tender to go parking in little places. Mm. Okay, well, I'm glad you said that because my you were putting my seven-year-old Ford S Max people carry it to show me. Yes. <laughs> I was feeling distinctly uncool, so... Uh, oh, Anyway, anyway, um, thank you so much for your time, Harry. It's been fantastic. And uh, yeah, I'm sure you're a busy man. So I um, really appreciate you, you speaking to us. That's it from this edition of Ahead of the Field. From me, Will Evans, and everyone at NFU Mutual, it's goodbye until the next episode.